My name is Jennifer Judkins, and you're listening to The Ripple. Here we share stories from September 11th, 2001. Every story from that day is important, and our goal is to give each of those stories a place to be heard. I first want to start off today's episode by letting you know that The Ripple recently became fiscally sponsored. What that means is that all donations are tax deductible. If you want to donate and help us make more episodes, please visit our website, therippledpodcast.com, and click on the donate page. We would really appreciate your support. Today's episode is different from our usual format. Today you will meet Lonnie and Russ. Lonnie and I met through my old job. She was working in the office one day and overheard my coworkers and I discussing the podcast. That's when she mentioned that she had a story from September 11th. When I asked her to share a little with me, I knew immediately that we should make sure everyone could hear it. When we met to record, I let Lonnie know that I would be recording them separately. I don't think she understood why, as she felt they would be telling the same story. I'm so glad I did, because even though Lonnie and Russ were together all day on September 11th, their experiences from that day could not have been more different. In 2001, Lonnie was 31 and Russ 36. They married earlier that year and had recently moved to Gateway Plaza, a series of high-rise buildings diagonally across the West Side Highway from the World Trade Center. Lonnie was working as a freelance archivist for photographers, and Russ had recently been laid off. They were both home that morning. Lonnie and Russ took amazing photographs and video on September 11, 2001. We're lucky to have that up on our website right now at therippledpodcast.com. Go take a look. This episode contains audio Lonnie and Russ recorded on September 11, 2001. This audio may be disturbing to some listeners. This is their story. Okay, my name's Russ Efron. I'm a resident of New York City. I, uh, I was born in South Africa. I've uh, moved to the States in, in 1992. On 9-11, I was 36 years old, living with uh, my wife and uh, our dog. And I was unemployed at the time. I just got laid off a little while before. I was a CPA and I was a controller, but at the job that I got laid off from, I was a software uh, installation uh, manager. But uh, that was like a detour in my career because most of my career was as a controller. So Russ and I live on the 25th floor in Battery Park City. And we're on Liberty Street and South End Avenue, which is sort of diagonally across the street from the World Trade Center. And our view is east and north. We have a corner bedroom, which is the corner facing the Twin Towers. And from our bedroom, you couldn't see, we were so close, you couldn't see the floor or the ground, and, and you couldn't see the top, especially if you were lying in bed. So as you looked out the window and you had your view, you just saw like the middle part of the building. And I thought it was really kind of awesome, and I kind of loved that view. And it was really funny because the weekend before we had a big party because we had moved in there fairly recently. And like all of our really good friends came who are still my friends now and we still talk about it. And it was just like kind of like one big get together. And, you know, and we were all there admiring the Twin Towers and all these people are most of them are like born New Yorkers. 
and we just had so many conversations about the Twin Towers that weekend just because we had just moved there. It was like our housewarming party. Maybe that's what it was, and that's why everyone came down. And I remember my friend Robin said to me, um, aren't you a little nervous? And I was like, nervous for what? And she's like, to live so close to the Twin Towers. And I was like, why would that make you nervous? I was like, no, not at all. Like I didn't, I didn't even understand when she was asking me that, which was kind of weird too. So how did your day start on September 11th, 2001? I was getting ready to go to do some work at Mark Seliger's studio. And what was your job at the time? I was setting up his archives. So I was like heading down to the studio just to, you know, go in for a day's work. And Russell had just been laid off from his job, which is interesting. I think everything happens for a reason, but like he used to walk right through the World Trade Center to get to his old job you know and it was very recent before 9-11 that he had been laid off mm-hmm. anyway because he was home I was totally distracted and I'm easily distracted and late and and you know so that wasn't helping that he was home and I was like okay I've got to go I've got to get out of here and I was like literally out the door my bag was packed and I heard this really loud noise and I was like what the hell was that I, w- I had to check it out before I didn't know what it was I wasn't really afraid. It was just so loud I didn't get it, you know? So I went into the bedroom because Russell was still lying in bed. Tell us how September 11th, 2001 was supposed to start for you. Lonnie was uh, getting ready to go to work. I think I was reading the newspaper in our bed. I was just, I was going to look for jobs on that day or call up my my recruiters and that and try and figure out what, what, what my strategy for the day was. But... Uh, at the time, I was lying on the bed reading the newspaper. And then we heard the first bang, like a loud, loud bang. And Lonnie was like, what was that? I said, it sounded like a sonic boom, like when a plane breaks its sound barrier. That's exactly what it sounded like. And we looked out the window, and like from our view, there was nothing really happening. And then a few minutes later, there were like, things burning that were coming down. I, you couldn't tell what it was. And then we could looked up and we saw all the smoke and that was the like tower one. Over time it was getting worse. I mean, it was like burning more. I mean, that was our, our view f- at the beginning. And we turned on the TV, we didn't know what was happening. And then like there was a, they said like a plane flew into the World Trade Center and we couldn't really see that because we were from a, I think that plane flew from the north and we were looking at it from like the southwest angle of the building. So you were seeing the other, the opposite side of where the plane had gone into. Yeah, exactly. And then we were like calling people, people calling us. I mean, that was early still. When we figured out what it was, we were looking at the window and uh, looking up, you could see people there and... Like the timing, I'm not sure about the timing, but like as it got worse and worse, as like longer into it, I mean, you saw more and more people like there, but you couldn't really see them perfectly. It was like they were high up, and then people falling or jumping or whatever it was. It was like right in front of. Right in front of our faces, it was like unbelievable how, how close it was. It was like a movie. You see it in a movie, you just don't see something like that. You think there was a bomb? Yeah. 
Again, here we're in the bedroom now, opening the windows, kind of looking out, seeing what's going on. I feel like the phone's ringing and the news is going, and you know we're sort of seeing what's happening, what's unfolding. Um, the city, city is literally shut down. The stock exchange has been closed. The airports are closed. The bridges, the tunnels, closed inbound and pretty much outbound at this point. Then all of a sudden, in our view, comes a second airplane. <laughs> Oh my god, it's getting to that. It was so loud because our windows were open and it was so low and it's not meant to be flying that low. And it, it was a jet plane. <laughs> this is when we verified it really was a jet plane. This is when I believed that it was actually a jet plane because I saw it. And, and the noise when it came in was so crazy and it was so, it was so big because it was so low. We were on the 25th floor and where did it hit? Like the 80th floor across the street. So, I mean, that's like really freaking close. And then, but it disappeared for a sec and then it was like exploded. I mean, all of that happened really fast, but it, I kind of remember it in slow motion, like the noise of it coming, it kind of coming and then a big fireball and we're like, oh my God, I'm like, the windows. <laughs> the windows are getting closed. It was hectic looking out the window, all the emergency vehicles coming and just sirens and, and lights going off. And we thought like the safest place to be would be up in our apartment. The, the towers started like coming down. And it just it got pitch black. It got like like we couldn't see anything in our apartment. Our power came from the World Trade Center. So when the tower started coming down, we just lost all power in our apartment. But it was also a bright sunny day, but you couldn't see a thing. I, I grabbed our dog, Cozzy, and Lonnie grabbed a pocketbook and we, we ran out. We were just watching and not really know what to do, being really scared and like kind of staying home and staying put. and having the TV on and the phone on and the phone's ringing and we're okay, fine. And, and then, you know, all my friends started up Wire Image, like Jeff Vespa and Kevin Mazur. So they're like, send us the photos. So I actually sent, I was downloading, I sent them all at once. And, and then, so as I'm downloading all these pictures that I took that we're sending um, over to Wire Image, the, the first tower falls down. And as it comes down, like the way I remember it falling down was pieces, like, pieces of it like it was it was imploding but as it imploded like pieces kind of like fell off it was just like the scariest fucking thing like seeing that fall and I, I like kind of left out and Russell kind of I was a little bit less aware at the time like when we saw the things coming out of the towers before it fell when we were just out there watching there was people jumping and we were seeing them jumping but I didn't even realize that there were people because I'm just like no like that can't be people and stuff and I mean I kind of did after a while but he was like completely aware of it, like from the first guy that he saw it come down. It's absolutely pitch black in my apartment. 
pitch freaking black. I'm on the 25th floor on a corner and my my walls basically are windows, like the whole apartment, you know, the whole corner. And um, so I said to Ross, and we had two bathrooms, but they were interior. So I was like, let's go to one of the bathrooms. Cause I'm like, there's no windows. And he was like, let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> He's like, I don't want to be in this apartment. He's like, I don't want to be here anymore. We got to get out. And we're like, oh my God. It it was so sad. We had no idea what to do. We had no idea what was going on. We couldn't even see. So we go and we run out of the apartment. On the table was my bag. So I grabbed my bag. But I knew it was there and I kind of felt for it as I ran past it. And I picked it up and I had it with me. So I had the camera in one hand and my pocketbook in the other. We weren't going to take the elevator. We took the stairs. And on the 24th floor, one floor down, there's this old lady she is in her 80s i think and she was visiting her her son and daughter-in-law and she got locked out of her apartment and she wants to get back in and we said no you have to come downstairs with us so lonnie and i like basically carried her down 24 flights of stairs we got to the lobby there's a firefighter there and a volunteer and they were like basically just hurting us all in the lobby, like holding us there, not letting us go anywhere. And it, 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 looked, it, it looked like an apocalypse outside. It was just gray. And I mean, usually there were gardens and it was like really green and pretty outside. We were there for, I don't know how long, I mean, maybe half an hour, 20 minutes, I'm not sure, but when suddenly cleared up the firefighter like like started like escorted us all out like an entrance of the building i didn't even know existed and and he told us to go south and lonnie was like go south i mean that's crazy it's like the island ends there like why can't we go north so once we got down to about three it got really like smoky and cloudy and like distressful like the smelling wasn't nice this the smell wasn't good but the air wasn't good either it was thick and so we were like covered up and like whoa and we were still inside of course and um, but now our lobbies you know like 18 foot ceilings with like 12 foot windows do you know what I mean like it was like big giant windows in the whole lobby and stuff and our building was facing like the inner driveway so we're just hanging out in the lobby like again the air is bad we're sitting there me, Russ, the dog, and the lady. There's like, you know, this Israeli Hertzbola group. Like, there were like emergency workers and just a bunch of yeah. Jews. They were there. I don't really know where they came from, but they were really awesome. They had their vests on, they had their walkie-talkies, and they were like in charge. And somebody needs to be in charge in times like this. And they did a great job. And they opened up the back, and they let us out the back gate, which I didn't even know that we like had this back gate in our building. And they told us, okay, when you leave the building, go down the path, go out the back, and head south. And we were going down south, down the Esplanade, which like runs between Battery Park City and, uh, and the Hudson River. And it's usually a very pretty walkway and everything. And we were like pretty going down there pretty quick. I had my dog under my arm and, and this lady under the other arm. And we were like, and then... The, the the other tower started coming down and there was a cloud of smoke coming towards us and we started running, like really running fast with this lady and we like climbed over a wall and we went into another apartment building which was 
like on the other side of Liberty Street, like further south. And uh, and we were just in there, like in these different rooms and office. Like, I don't know what the place was. It was like a, a just, uh, there are a lot of different rooms and there were people in all the rooms and no one knew what was going on. So we had the old lady and we hoisted her over the bench in the fence. And the three of us and the dog got inside. And then moments later, the dust cloud passed by us. And then, and we were inside kind of hovering and being like, this is fucked up. It was feeling like the world was coming down and we're keep escaping from it. And so far we're succeeding, like we're doing a good job. And I have no more pictures, have you noticed? I had my camera, but I have no more pictures anymore. I'm so scared, you know, and I wish so much I took pictures. And then people started coming in like right after we did and they were like totally covered in dust, just their little eyes or just their eyes and their mouth. And, and they looked like aliens, they looked horrible and they were scared and they were crying and they were like, help me, you know. It was so scary, those people and us and just everything. And then again, the dust kind of settled, like time passed. I'm not sure how long time passed, but time passed and the dust kind of settled. And it was some weird space. It was almost where we were was this office space and they had moved out. So it was all these empty rooms that we were all sitting in, which was also kind of odd. Anyway, we were just sitting down there and then, but not, I don't know, you didn't really want to stay there. It was definitely a place to take refuge and then you wanted to go. So when it cleared, everyone who didn't really belong, or at least we did, there was definitely mass exiting of people. And we exited there, and we walked a little bit more south. There was like all, we got to the South Cove. Do you know where that is? Mm -hmm. So at the South Cove, um, it's not really a pier, and it's not really where boats pick people up. They had like fishing boats and police boats and private boats and ferry boats and everybody was like coming in there because there's a few ladders and, and people were like jumping off the docks and jumping off the pier and they were just pulling up to the edge there, all of these boats. Any boat, any vehicle that was in the river came. We ended up getting on a police boat just because it was whatever, the boat that we got on. And so me and Russ and the lady jumped on the boat and, and then in, in moments we were gone. We were out of New York out of this chaos, out of this craziness that we felt like we kept hiding from and coming out of. And they dropped us off in Liberty State Park. It took like, I don't think the boat ride was more than two or three minutes. When all the clouds and the smoke and dust settled in that, we were escorted onto uh, police boats and taken across the river to, uh, to New Jersey, to Liberty State Park. And like Lonnie was like, how are we going to get back? We haven't got any ID. We haven't got any money, like nothing. And they were like, don't worry, we'll get you back. And we were taken there and dropped off there. And we sat there for the rest of the day, like just watching watching it burn. And, uh, and it was like this be beautiful sunny day. And, uh, and we couldn't do anything. We didn't have mobile phones like you have today I don't even I can't even remember like I think we left them at the apartment I'm not even sure if we had that I can't remember that at the time and we were lining up to to try and use a payphone, but we didn't have any uh money on us and then trying to call people collect and not only that also trying to remember phone numbers because you know, we didn't have any phone numbers written down. So that was all pretty tough. Um, 
I I managed to get through to I think it was my sister. And I think Lonnie got through to one of her friends, I think, and her dad, I'm not really sure, and like just got the word out. But uh so we sat there the rest of the day and eventually uh like later on they took a bunch of us, they put us on these prison buses and then took us to Bayonne to a, a naval base which was like in mothballs, it was closed down and they like opened up the gymnasium and like put us all in there and it was like pretty amazing how things started coming. What was that feeling of leaving the island because you had just seen and experienced so much insanity in a very brief amount of time and then to go away and see it but then also see this beautiful blue sky. Well, uh, well, as we're the boat's driving away, I did actually pull up a camera and take one or two pictures. They drop us off in Liberty Park, and we're kind of like, okay, and we get out of the boat, and we turn around, and we see, like, all of downtown burning. We see our building because we're on the water. All The whole thing is, like, under smoke, but it's, like, everything is just smoking and burning, and, and, and it's all heading towards Brooklyn. It's all going south. So we, um, we sat in Liberty Park and watched Manhattan burn. First came like little Ziploc bags with like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Like you could tell someone made like a whole stack in their kitchen and turkey sandwiches and stuff. And then McDonald's came and then Dunkin' Donuts came. And then just like the food like kept coming. Like I don't know where all these volunteers could have already gotten like all of this food. This was like getting to be dark now on the September 11th. And then it's cold. We're freezing. And you know, we haven't heard any news. So we don't know what's going on. And somebody had like a a wind-up radio. So there's somebody there like winding up this radio. Maybe when they fled, they prepared themselves a little. You know what I mean? So they had this radio, so we're all huddled around this radio and we're listening to the news and then we're hearing what's going on. And then we heard that there was something at the Pentagon. And we're like, what? This is so scary, what else? So we're totally freaked out because we still don't really know what's going on, but we just know now it's the Pentagon. And then we finally are hearing it like a little bit like saner, like, okay, that's it. It's not like more stuff is not going on they started like bringing blankets and cots and everything like it was crazy it was like we, we're living in new york and like people like were all like going out to try and get their little space where they're going to sleep in their blankets and everything it was like what you see in like movies like in third world countries and that it was pretty crazy and like trying to find your spots. By now, like, people had gotten a hold of their family and some people's family were coming to get them and things like that. So someone made an announcement, does anybody want to ride to Stanford, Connecticut? I'm in my sleep. I'm like, we do. And so they're like, come, come. And so there's like six of us in like a Jeep Cherokee. So Russ and I are in the trunk in the back, like not even in a seat. We're in the back. And we're like, we didn't really care because we wanted to get the fuck out of there. So that's kind of creepy too, driving from Bayonne, New Jersey to Stanford, Connecticut in the trunk of a deep With church. strangers. No one on the road. Nobody anywhere on the road. I was like, we're going to drive over a bridge and they're going to blow it up. 
It was like the scariest drive. I felt like we were sneaking out and we were sneaking out of somewhere very safe where we were going to be taken care of to like who the fuck knows where we're going anymore. Why did you decide to go to Stanford? Because my sister lives in Stanford and we can get to my sister's house. And I felt like it'd be better to be at my sister's house than in this military base in Bayonne, New Jersey. We don't know anybody in New Jersey, you know? So here I have a ride right to my sister. So she lives like 10 minutes away. So my brother-in-law picked us up. They dropped us off at a hotel in Stanford and then he picked us up at the hotel. And then we got to her house, and we actually then really spent that first night at my sister's house. I mean, she was so happy that we were there. Lonnie and Russ stayed with Lonnie's sister for two days. Russ's cousin and her family stopped by the following day. Although enjoying the family time, they were both anxious to get back to the city. So we were there. We felt really safe, but we were really anxious. Like, we really felt like we needed to get our stuff. Like, we're really freaked out, and Russell's like, I need... I need to go. I need to go somewhere. I need to get my stuff and I need to go. And we just kind of like, we didn't really know where we needed to kind of go so bad, but we just needed to get out. So my sister gave us some money and she gave us a credit card and she sent us back to the city. Like we took the train back in or something. And we got to the city and we're like, okay. And Russell's brother lived on the Upper West Side. So our, we were going to stay with him. So we kind of like had a, we didn't have anything. My sister gave us some stuff, I think. And we went and um, we kind of parked ourselves at Russell's brother's house. And then we tried to come downtown to try and, you couldn't get downtown, you couldn't go downtown. But we didn't care and we were gonna try and figure it out. And we were gonna go downtown, we're gonna get our stuff, we're gonna get our car, which was downtown, and we're gonna go. It was days of going and waiting in lines and then people said like you could go to another location and you could get in and we, we just, we were not able to get in at all and we, like there was just no information, but no one had any information. So I, I forget, I was really close with Mark Seliger at the time. Somehow I was in contact with him. And Mark lives like maybe like eight blocks up from there. And on the top floor he has a studio, but it's also a studio apartment. Like it has a Murphy bed and everything. So he said, why don't you guys come stay with me? You're really close. And of course, I could go down there with you every day and try and get with your credentials, I can get in. (laughs) But still, I mean, I don't want to take away. He was super generous and gave us like his whole top floor and, you know, let us stay there. And and, um, and when you have keys, he's like in an elevator with a key card. Mm -hmm. So he gave me a full access key card so I can go to his apartment. I can go to our apartment. I can go like anywhere, you know. So we stayed at the studio and um, with the dog too, which was fine. And so every day we were trying, and the studio was really awesome. You know, it's like with you nice. and Kit, yeah, yeah. you know how studios are, and everyone was so cool. And, and they were like, they were starting to work again, but not really working. People were just being there, you know. And like I had their computers and their fax machines, and they were like all helping me. They were trying to help me get ID, and they were like, we had the radio on. And I remember I was sitting in the office with Ruth and Jen, and, and then they were like, oh, so some updates about what's going on downtown. We haven't gotten downtown yet. We haven't succeeded in getting down there yet. And then we heard on the radio, they were like, oh, there's some trouble with some of the stability of some of the buildings down there now. And Gateway Plaza, it looks like from the 26th floor is falling over. And we're like, what? I live in Gateway Plaza. And we're like, what? And I live on the 25th floor. And they're saying from the 26th floor, it's like falling over. And I'm like, oh, I've got a penthouse now, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it was like really scary. They were like, what the fuck is going on down there, you know? And it's again, you hear like little bits of news and stuff. And, 
American Express, the only thing I succeeded in doing was American Express wrote me a letter saying I was a really good credit card holder and here's my account number and here's my, they sent me ID because I didn't have anything on me. So I would go downtown with this piece of paper from American Express with my name on it to show the guards that I, and my address on it, that I lived downtown and I needed to go home to get my wallet because this was the only thing I had and American Express faxed me. And they were like, sorry. Some people were like, sorry, that's not ID. And other people were like, we feel bad for you. Come on in. You know, so, and Mark was here like with us a lot of these times trying to get, and we did, a lot of times we succeeded and we got like, we got all the way to Chambers Street one day, but I was still like a little bit further. So I didn't get there. We got into Tribeca like three or four times, I think. And our car was parked in Tribeca. So we, we also were trying to get there as well. So then my What friend, did it feel like when you were going down there? Like why... Was, Why did it take so many... It was fenced off, and you couldn't get down there. And, and we were trying to go... Like I don't know how it would for be... So you would walk certain routes, and then you'd realize you couldn't go any further in that there route. There would be guards, and sorry, you have to go this way. And they kept turning you around. Right. And there was literally a barricade around certain parts of New York that you couldn't get through. If they didn't let you through, you couldn't get through. You couldn't go around it, you know? So a lot of times... So then we tried coming... We tried coming from the south. We tried coming from the east. We tried... We were finding out, like, by Mark on, on Houston Street was really where they were telling us was where they were going to allow us to enter. So that's where we were trying to get in from. It was not working. And then I was like, this is fucked up. So then finally... How long was that period of time? It was like five or six or seven days now. We're like, we're not succeeding. And then my friend worked for Alan Hevesy. Alan Hevesy was the city controller. And Alan Hevesy, if you remember, went down with, like, Sheldon Silver and the rest of these crooked politicians. He was in jail for a while for doing all the shit that he did that was wrong, but he wasn't caught yet at this time. <laughs> but you could see why it was no big deal that his, my friend could give us his car and his drivers. So she sent his car to us and picked us up. The one bodyguard and the driver picked me and Russ up at Houston Street at that spot. Mm -hmm. And because they work for Alan Havasey, they had clearance. So they dropped us off at the entrance of our building. And they said, you have 10 minutes. And we're like, okay. I never told them I lived on the 25th floor and there's no way we're going to be back in 10 minutes. But we were like, okay. <laughs> this was our goal for so long right, was to get upstairs. Right. So we get to the building. You, what was the, what did it feel like when you finally got to the building? There was nobody there. It was like deserted and a ghost town. And you could just walk right in? Oh yeah. It was totally scary. Like it was. And you said before that the front of your building were floor to ceiling windows. Yeah. We had those blown out? Were they no. still there? Yeah. They didn't break. And um, our, we had like a low rise, like a low rise, like a three or four story building. And then we had three towers. Mm -hmm. So I think all of those low rise kind of blocked any interior. And these were all like interior windows. There, I told you we had three towers. One of the towers was on Liberty Street. Exactly. Like we were on the corner and they were on there. And that whole front of that building, every single window was blown out. There was not one. Every apartment in that in that front of that building burned down. And two other apartments in our complex burned down. Like random, like a fireball flew into one apartment window and burned it down. And it was the only building in like the whole tower that burned. You mentioned that was your one. <laughs> so anyway, none of those were our ones. So ours did not burn down. And we didn't have any glass break. And we had the windows closed and everything. But anyway... We had no idea, even if we closed the windows at this point, we had no idea what was going on. So we get home, we climb up the stairs, and it's this really sweet but disgusting, repulsive, 
smell. And I was like, what is this? And, and Russell's like, it's the smell of people dying. So we climb up the stairs and we get to our um, apartment, 25th floor. And we were like so happy to be there and the windows are closed and everything kind of looks like it should. So I'm packing like a little bit of clothes, but I pack all my backup CDs and I pack up my hard drives because I have my own business and I'm like all worried about that stuff. And Russell's like, we're carrying what we can take. We have to carry. I'm like, I've got all my photo albums. <laughs> so we kind of pare it down and we, we get what's essential. We get our ID. We get our money. And you know, Russell, we had only recently got married in June and this, we moved here in July and this was September. And Russell had a studio apartment so we had an apartment in Tribeca and we had a studio apartment and we, you know, we got married. So we, we were living together and I used his studio as my um, office for a while and then we rented it out and it was like one of those rent control buildings. So we got bought out. So we had like $10,000 of cash in the apartment. And believe me, the whole time all of this is going on, we kept thinking, we when the tower fell down, I'm like, there goes my money. <laughs> So we had all this cash in the apartment too, which I don't ever have $10,000 of cash lying around. We got home, we got our money, we got our ID, and now we have $10,000 of cash on us. Now we're like feeling like so much better. And we were like, let's get the fuck out of here. We took our money, we could take our money and run, you know? So we took our money and we didn't really know what was gonna happen and we had no idea what we were gonna do and we did not think like, this was not logical thinking anymore. This wasn't like, what you do every day like you know how my life is now how your life is and all of a sudden now it's like totally different but we're like okay so now we got our stuff we're gonna go back to Mark's we're gonna drop our stuff and now our next goal is to get our car like the way we're vigilant about getting our stuff our bags our ID our stuff the toy for the dog all the things that we needed we brought it back to Mark's and now our new goal was to get back to Tribeca and get our car out the only thing our car was in a garage and you it was like you know you put the key card on the door and the door opens. So you use a, a regular key to walk in the garage, like a, a regular door. door. So I walk in the garage and we finally get down to Tribeca. It was getting a little easier and now we had ID, so it was much easier. So we get into the building, we get into the door and the key of course works, so it's a regular door, regular key, and we get in, we get in the car and we drive to the fucking swiper and just fucking praying. Because there was an electronic swipe and there was still no power downtown. Exactly. So we're like, what are we going to do? I don't know why we decided to try it anyway. So anyway, I got to the, the, the machine, the little card thing that you swipe on, and there's a light and it's lit. And I was like, no way. And I swipe my card and the fucking garage door opens. And we were like, oh my God. We didn't expect it. We didn't know what we were going to do. We knew we weren't going anywhere. And we were like, we were just felt like, I kind of felt like a little bit like Thelma and Louise, like kind of on the run. Like here we just, like we didn't steal a car, it was our car, but I sort of felt like, you know. You're just like, it's like so much effort to get your own things back. Yeah, and now we're like, no way. Now we're like kind of free. We've got money and we've got a car and we've got no fucking responsibility because like nobody's working. Everything's shut down. Russ doesn't have a job. We can't go home. So we're like, what the fuck? And we love, we love going to St. Martin. We love going to the Caribbean. And we really were like, let's just go. Let's go somewhere. And, but Russ like, I am not getting on an airplane. There's no way I'm getting on an airplane. I feel like that's fair. Yeah. So we're like, let's go to Key West. 
Lonnie and Russ spent the next four weeks traveling to Florida and back, visiting friends along the way. During this time, Lonnie was constantly on the phone with their insurance company, trying to make living arrangements for their return to New York. Russ spent most of this time experiencing flashbacks and having sleep issues. Uh, at the time, I was still I was having problems sleeping. I remember that. I mean, I don't remember exactly how I felt, but I know it took me like ages to like really sleep well and to not have flashbacks and I know like every time I saw planes I like would think like things would happen and like I'd wake up like with planes blowing up it was just like it took time it took a long time to like kind of like suppress the feelings and the thoughts and everything I have not watched any movies about 9-11 or watched any documentaries. I I can't do that at all. I've I've been to the museum once. That's because we were invited there. And uh, it it brings back like terrible like memories but at the same time I'm like really thankful that like I didn't really know anyone or wasn't like wasn't affected by having lost someone it definitely affected me with my anxieties I think I've always had anxieties but since then my my anxieties have got like a lot worse i can't really deal with crowds anymore i worked in finance for a while after that till 2008 when i got laid off like in the uh financial crisis but uh i i now cannot really work in a in an office building i i just I've come to realize that it's not something I ever want to do again. One day while traveling, they received a call from Russ's recruiter. He had a job interview in New York. They had to go back. Life was starting up again. They spent the next few weeks with Russ's brother, some friends, and at a few hotels throughout the city. Finally, in November, they were told they could go home. We got word that we were allowed to go home. And what time were, was this now? So this is like eight weeks after 9-11. So we are now September, October, like in November. Yeah. And so they said we can come home and eventually they were letting us come home. Check like once we heard that we could. And, and you know, at this time there was many times we had been to like the pier, there to offices, to FEMA lines, to like just paperwork was like beyond. You know, like to do all the paperwork to get to their free hotels and stuff like that, you know. And it was always because you have insurance, you have to go through insurance before you go through FEMA and you have to go insurance before you go through anything. So anything that insurance could pay for, they were trying to get insurance to pay for, but they covered it. They were amazing. They covered everything else after it. And when insurance didn't cover it, they covered it and then insurance paid them back. So they were really, they were really good. The agencies are really good. And I had just gotten married and I was still my old last name. So... That made it a little more complicated, but in the end, I was able to, like, 
do all my, I change my name, I change all of these things, like all of these, when you get married and you have to do all of this name change stuff, it sucks. And every agency that I had to change my name officially was there and it made the process like really easy, like my pass, passport people were there and all those documents were there to like change it and stuff. And so we got all of our ducks in a row and all our paperwork together. And, we go to these piers and we just wait there all day and wait on these lines and we go from like FEMA to Safe Horizons and to the Social Security and I did a few extra again because I was changing my name and stuff and getting all that paperwork just waiting on lines like forever. So they let us go back home and so we went back home and we were really excited and you had to like wear masks like when you started to go down there still. So this is like I think it's about eight weeks maybe nine weeks. We were able to get back into our apartment at times, but like for a few hours here or a few hours there. And then when they allowed us to move back in, we did move back in. And at that time, it was like we were living behind checkpoints. We, uh, we had to show ID every time we, we came to our apartment. If anyone came to visit us, we had to go, uh, go to the checkpoint and like get them through. Things were definitely looking better. I was. My clients were going back to work. I was really busy at that time, like, and I was getting back to being busy. And, and you know, New York was sort of like healing and we were sort of healing with it. And I definitely felt like bruised and battered and back, but like a little bit, you know, beat up along the way. And, and we were like, you know, we just got married, we're trying to have a baby. And I'm like looking out the window and I see the Deutsche Bank building like still smoking. Like as time goes on, I mean, Eventually, I get pregnant. I was like, okay, now it's time to move. But we stayed there for like three and a half years. At first, we didn't know really what to do. And then he wasn't working. Money was kind of fucked up. And they were making our rent so cheap. Like, to stay down there, they gave you a lot of incentives to stay. And our gorgeous apartment was still gorgeous. It was just not in the right neighborhood anymore. Would you say that you suffer from PTSD? Or maybe you did for a portion of time? Possibly I was never diagnosed with it. I mean, I definitely know I have anxiety issues that I do know. I have panic attacks, which, I mean, I'd never realized that I had my whole life, but I, I started realizing a couple of years ago what they were, that they were panic attacks. And I don't think they were started from 9-11, but uh, in my more mature years now and where I can look back and see things, I definitely think that I, I, it has affected them as well. I'm not crazy about crowds at all. I, I steer away from them. I, I yeah. Are you suffering from any illnesses now? And you said no, but emotionally you have a really hard time with certain things. And one of those things that you said was not being able to be free. Can you elaborate on what that means? I feel like I'd suffer from agoraphobia a little. Like I just, I don't like to be in confined spaces where I don't know how to just be able to get away on my own. I prefer to be at home because I'm more comfortable here. 
So you have two kids now, mm-hmm. a boy and a girl. Mm-hmm. They are how old? Eight and 12. Eight and 12. And have you talked to them about your time downtown and your experience with 9-11? Do they know what 9-11 is? Yeah, they do. And Cody Moore, I remember when we first started telling them about it and they would ask questions and stuff. I, I think they would be very interested, though, listening to your podcast because I never told them in all the detail that I've told you today. Right. I've not had that kind of conversation with them. And they kind of think, wow, really? Like, so surprised that, like, you were that's part of our past, mm-hmm. you know? And probably when they first found out about it, it was surprising because they hadn't known yet. Do you know if they teach it at his school? I don't know. I try to block it out of my existence. It's something that I experienced and I lived through. It's not something that I ever chose or anyone chose or anyone would choose. It was a terrible time for everyone and I just happened to be very close to it and feel like it affected me, you know, like I said at the beginning, I'm glad that it, I didn't lose anyone or that that would have affected me even more. When I read the news now or watch the news now, I like, I definitely am attracted to tragedy, but not personal experience in tragedy. I, I, tragedy, I kind of, it kind of like, I'd rather not know about certain events kind of things, like something that happens to individuals. I don't like to know that because I feel the thought of those people up there and what they they were thinking those last few minutes and the ones who left messages or did speak to someone, what those conversations were like. And it's kind of like, there was recently that fire in in Los Angeles and some people in there left messages and, and, and texts to their families and when I started reading that in the, the, the uh, in the news and that, I just I, I can't deal with that because my mind goes up to those people standing up there, and I just I picture it. It's like the fear that must have gone gone through their minds, like in those last few minutes. Or, or even speaking to someone and trying, and the people on the other end of the phone trying to understand what what was going on. I mean, we were in our apartment at the time, and when people were asking us, and we were like, oh, we're fine, we're seeing it out the window, like, you know, don't worry about, like, don't worry about us. But then there was like a break between the time that the towers came down and the time that we were able to communicate to other people again, which must have been about two or three hours, that no one had heard from us. It's so different today because everyone's got cell phones and everyone's t- 
text and just it's so available today compared to what it was 15 years ago it's it's i mean but that's technology and and but just the thought of personal fear in that it's just like it gets to me it, it digs at me and it's like and I, i'd rather not think about things like that if i don't have to i've been wanting to for a while now like just move to hawaii and live there and not think about all the the shit that goes on in this world really not that it's not going to happen when i'm there but it's like at least i can enjoy myself and not see it all and just and block it out i mean lonnie knows that that that's that's my dream she wants to be in new york she's in a dream house right now so we for right now we're going to be here but a few years ago the house was almost sold and we were like moving there and then at the last minute the buyers pulled out and then we and then everything ended and uh but as you can see I'm still I wear my Hawaiian <laughs> shirts every day because it's like I'm You just want to keep the dream alive. The dream's there. Yeah. I'm in my in my mind I'm living in Hawaii so I want to finish off by talking about your feelings about people being sick from being at 9/11 I, and also how you feel about yourself. I avoid the doctor health. like crazy and I shouldn't at all. My dad died of um cancer um two years ago and I'm supposed to get a colonoscopy and I'm like scared to death of doing that not to do the actual procedure but just what the results will be yeah and I'm sure I'll be fine and I think I'm fine and I don't really like doctors and I'm not really sick very often so I don't really need to go to the doctor and um I should <laughs> I do think I should check we were I hear stories like you tell me about your dad and I hear stories about that person you were telling us about mm -hmm. with the throat cancer now the photographer and I makes me feel like I really need to because like I have two kids yeah I need to like deal with it for them but I really hate going to the doctors yeah I I hope we don't get sick from this I, I feel like I kind of feel like I don't know I don't know if there's enough time has passed and we're not sick yet but like your friend only recently got sick right um, he's still alive He's still alive, yeah. yeah. I think it was a couple years, probably in the last six years. In the last six yeah. years. Okay, so it's yeah. still like... But it wasn't, you know, right after. Yeah, it now it's like immediate. 15 years later. Mm -hmm. I think some of our mental health issues, I think, could have come from, like, I don't know if it's just aging and family and life in the city and, like, everyone goes through stresses or mm -hmm. if this added to it, but you can't really take away any of your experiences, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, it was, there was obvious anxieties early on, and I don't feel like I really have them now, you know? I don't want to go to the 9-11 Museum. Like, my sister and just were in town, and my mom, or they're all going down there, and I didn't want to go with them. I, I'm like, that's But like, you have I photographs have. in the museum and audio recording of you in the museum. Yeah. But you have not gone down there, or you just don't want to go down I there? I went down. They invited us before the museum opened because we were part of the exhibits they we were like part of the vip that got to go to like the pre-stuff before the official public opening. opening so we were invited to go when there was very few people so it was there. not as stressful oh it was so stressful so i was excited mm. and i went i actually 
I hadn't invited a lot of people and I was surprised I kept being able to invite people. But I, so I had a nice little posse of friends there. Like maybe there was like eight or 10 of us Mm -hmm. that were there together. So it wasn't like we were on our own, but still it was like, um, it was so stressful. It was so sad and it brought so much. And that picture I showed you, I have a picture also of after all of that cleared when the dust, it's like the pit though but you see my building and it's really the 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 world trade center pit is the next picture and it's just it's such destruction and such devastation and then you see then i see that picture of us in that building that's in the cloud and then i saw that those pictures of those people like running from those fireballs or those cloud balls not fireballs dust balls and i kept thinking like oh my god that that's when i realized when i went that i wasn't like i thought i sort of I thought I sort of like Hollywooded it a little bit and acted like I was running from this dust ball. And I felt like my story was getting a little embellished, you know, over the years. But then when I went back and I saw the picture, it was more gruesome and more terrifying than I was even saying. And you had made like the Disney version in your head yeah, to and protect I was, yourself. Yeah, and I was thinking it was like still like I was still being kind of dramatic. But when I saw the pictures, I was not being dramatic at all, you know? It just confirmed that you were correct. Yeah, that all of that was going on. And I really was running from that dust ball, yeah. you know? And those people really did, like, let us in. Like, I, I have visions, too, of us walking on the promenade, like, through the dust of, like, our feet just kind of... There's just dust everywhere, you know? And so we were there for that little bit of time. So that's the time that the air was really bad. But like Mm. Russell said, we developed allergies down there and stuff. And when we left, they kind of went away. So Mm -hmm. there was definitely funky stuff happening later on. I'm curious too. Like I wish I could be a fly on the wall a little bit with Russell (laughs) to see what he said. Have you ever done this before? Because you're going to get now the same story. Obviously from a slightly different perspective. It's the first time I'm getting uh, two stories from the same shared experience but yeah. possibly a little bit different because you could see in my story we were kind of never apart yeah i'm not i'm i'm not going to reference your story in my conversation with him uh-huh because i want to hear what he has to say what he's going to say yeah. and i don't want to interject your opinions and yeah. your visuals into his story yeah so i'm just going to listen to what he has to say and go from there the reason i do this podcast is because i want people to know that people are still to this day being affected by 9-11. Do you have feelings like that, that you would want people to know about 9-11 or that you, like, are you talking to me because you, th- you also think it's important to share this information? Yeah, and I, I feel it's important to get it out there I don't feel that I need to be the preacher or I need to be the uh, the one standing on the soapbox getting it out there. I feel that there's enough other people like you and 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 I think it's great that there are like the museum and I think it's great to get it out there because it's a huge tragedy that didn't just happen to me or New York but really to, to mankind. I mean, to think that to think that individuals can do something like this, it's just crazy. But uh, I think it's important to get it out there. I personally am more of the introvert than the extrovert. I'm not gonna go out there and say, it happened to me, or uh, uh, 
you know, some people on their birthday go out and say, it's my birthday, it's my birthday. I don't tell people it's my birthday. I'm not going to tell people that that happened to me. But if people ask me, I do share my experiences, that what happened, and I do... I don't hide away from the fact that I was in I was in the middle of it all. I think it's important for people to know that. And it's not it's just you know I'm a I'm a regular person. Everyone that was affected were all these regular normal people just trying to live their lives and it's like you know and it happens, so yeah, it's important that it gets out there. The more various people that it did affect tell their side of the story, I think that is also what's going to paint the, the whole picture. Because otherwise there's going to be those missing pieces that are like, you know, well, no one's ever going to like say like, well, what is that missing piece? Because you don't know that missing piece until that person comes along and tells another piece of it or tells that missing link. You know, that's when we know that there was a missing link. But it's like everyone's got their own story, their own experience of that day. But that's how history is, you know, it tells the stories. So... You might not use this term towards yourself, or maybe you do, but you are a survivor of 9-11. You survived that experience just like anyone else who was downtown at that time. And you, because you're sharing this, your grandchildren and your children will know that you're a survivor of this huge act of terrorism, uh -huh. which is a really big deal. It is. It really is. I'm very glad you decided to share this today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you have a story to share, please visit our website at therippledpodcast.com. Thanks are in order, as always, to our amazing editor, Daniel Broadhurst, who made this complicated edit possible. And a big thanks, as always, to Timothy Cleary, who made the music for our podcast. My name is Jennifer Judkins, and this has been The Ripple. <laughs>